My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Season three, episode seven, a Kardashian, a kidnapping and kicking addiction. Evan Jarshower, the so-called Kardashian interventionist, makes it his job to reunite families who have been torn apart by substance abuse. Perhaps part of his motivation and talent for repairing families comes from his own childhood kidnapping. Although, to be honest, his description certainly left me with more questions than answers. Join Evan and I for a brutally honest discussion about addiction, recovery, and mental health. To find out more about Evan, you can find him on Facebook and Twitter at Behavioral Help Solutions and on his website, BehaviorHelp.com. I am here with um, Evan Jarshower, who I am so excited to talk to and was extremely grateful that when I asked you said yes and agreed to be on the show. Um, uh, just to get, to get the attention of some of my listeners who may be like celeb whores. I'm not, I'm a science whore, but, um, uh, and I feel badly for you because you do so much good work and I'm worried that like on your tombstone will be written once interviewed Kim Kardashian. And I certainly hope not, um, but could you just say a little bit about that? Because it, it's, um, you know, uh, I guess it, it, it's it's not going to be your claim to fame, but it is an odd story, I'd imagine. Right. Well, you know, look, back when I was on the show, uh, at least in my opinion, it was very real. And it was a time where um, everyone's world was just taken off. And yeah. so, Kim's. so I was brought in uh, to help with a situation where somebody was involved in compulsive, um, a compulsive behavior. Mm help that person through that moment and to bring the family together to talk through how you can support a loved one who is experiencing uh, some type of mental health issue. So at the time, there was no question in my mind that it was very um, appropriate. It was real and meaningful. I think it was also meaningful to the family as well. You know, whatever happened after I was on and how things exploded, um, that's cool. But at least when I was there, it was meaningful. I think it was meaningful to the family as well. And, um, you know, I have to say, and I'll always say that I'm very appreciative uh, to the Kardashian family, as well as Ryan, as well as Seacrest Productions that actually brought, helped bring me on to, to, to do my thing. Do you get a lot of shit for that? Like, cause I was surprised that the first thing you said was that it was very real. I understand why, obviously, cause now it's, we, we not Kardashians, but like, uh, just in general, now we've become more aware as to, you know, how much scripting goes on in unscripted shows. But like, do people give you a hard time of that? Well, every so often. Yeah. 
But I think what it also does, and you know how I look at it, and how I would hope a family would look at it, is that if this person is ready, willing, and able to walk into the home of somebody with all kinds of resources and notoriety and help their loved one and doesn't care if there are cameras on or whatever's going on, um, that's the person that I want to come and help my loved one. Someone who is willing to do whatever and whenever to help. So I look at it from one perspective or another, but for me, I think that that's been a hallmark of my career. And that's why families and programs will reach out to, to me to help is because they know at the end of the day, whether you're in the beautiful waterside town of uh, Hewlett Harbor, sure. <laughs> Calabasas or wherever, that I'll be there with dignity and respect and understanding, regardless of whatever social strata you may be in. By the way, I've done this a lot, so I can I can say this. I like, know, you're doing great. No, right? it sounds perfect. Yeah. But, but, and do it in a very dignified, respectful way. But I totally also understand the other perspective of, you know, the, the concept of, um, was it some type of commercial something? Was it not real? Um, was it jumping the shark? That kind of a thing. But in my way I look at it, um, I would want someone who was ready, willing, able to go anywhere at any time with anybody to help my loved one. It's funny. I look at it as this is our job. You, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a psychologist, obviously. Sure. And if someone comes to me for help, they come to me for help. And, um, you know, I, I mean, similar but different. Like, I have a lot of patients that lost their insurance, lost jobs, lost whatever during COVID. And so, you know what? Some people pay me 20 bucks and it doesn't change my care. You know, like we go in there with our training. And as you're yeah. saying, it doesn't matter who they are, what they are, how much they're paying, what they're, you know, I'm just finding a common yep. ground for me. Like, I still do my job to the best of my ability. And that's what's important. And whatever, in some ways, like whatever that enterprise turned into to me, I didn't even remotely, I didn't associate it with you sure. because um, it was also more than 15 years i have no idea um i know they're in their like 20th season and this was like early season yeah I, in 09 i believe yeah i recognize the intro because like i have i said right, I watched right. an episode, but i have watched a few when they started you know like before i had children and a husband but um uh you know i like i i see um I don't know. It's totally different, and I'm I'm so almost sad that people doubt you or ask you that because that's the least interesting of all the the good work you do. Right? Yes. Right now you got it. Yeah, and so now I just have like that was your reaction, and now I just feel pissed for you. Tell me who I'll fight them because I looked at your resumes. I look. I like, you know, and what you do is amazing. And um, okay, I haven't said what you do. So um, you you know, so you specialize in a very difficult field of, um, um, you know, treating people who have been du duly diagnosed with a uh, mental illness or mental health issue and yeah. also have uh, an addiction and not largely substance abuse. Well, you oftentimes the substance abuse is secondary to the under to the mental health issue. Right. So I'm right. mostly dealing with primary mental health cases where people are self medicating with mood altering substances like alcohol or drugs or whatever. And so 
the family has been trying for a very long time to engage, coerce, bribe, uh, get this person some help. And they're hitting a roadblock. They're hitting not only a roadblock with their loved one, but they're also hitting oftentimes a roadblock with the system, the bureaucratic red tape and, and people's rights and civil rights and law enforcement and judicial jurisdictions. So I'm able to come in. I work within all that ultimately to maintain an ethical perspective, uh, follow the law, um, but at the same time, at the end of the day, make sure that the person who's suffering gets the help that they need in the most dignified, respectful way possible. Um, that's, that's pretty much what my, my job is. Right, and, um, and I shared this with you a little bit, and I've also shared this with my listeners. Um, you know, uh, my mother has spent about as long as I can remember through this revolving door. She definitely, you know, dual diagnosed substance abuse while also some sort of a mental health issue. Um, unfortunately, she's um, also some uh, TBI, traumatic brain issue, it's, yeah. you know, uh, from a car accident long ago that she never got treated properly for because she announced that she was a doctor's wife and it was time for her to go. You know, I'm like signed an AMA and left the hospital to my oh, father. Your, your mom's a doctor's wife? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me just let me get myself. There you yeah, go. Yeah. There you well, go. that means my dad's a doctor. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, but so I, you know, he happened to have privileges at the hospital she was brought to after a car accident. And sure. um, he is some, I like to say she has a golden vagina because he's wrapped around her finger. Okay. Um, and uh, they've also been together forever, you know? And so um, it's a combination of things coming together. And uh, as I shared with you, and I think you will do a better job explaining what this is, um, but several years ago, push came to shove and my father and my mother's sister finally decided they had to do something. And Florida has something called the Marchman Act, and um, which I'm gonna ask you to explain because you'll do a much better job. But um, so my father finally went through with it after years of this being on the table. They go to the hearing and the psychiatrist at the facility that my mother was at who did the eval forgot to sign the paperwork. She was dismissed, sent home. That was it. Wow. Yeah. So that was when I gave up hope. Um, but um, the Marshman Act is a big thing and Florida is one of the few places Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I mean, I it's I know we don't have it in New York, so. Well, so every state has statutes that pertain, and I'm not a lawyer, right? I don't play one on TV either, but every state has statutes pertaining to involuntary hospitalization for a variety of mental health issues. Right. Not every state necessarily has those statutes for substance abuse related issues, and sometimes you have to use the mental health statutes um, and maneuver them so that they somehow fit if substance abuse seems to be a driving force and why someone's behaving the way that they are. But in terms of having a specific statute specifically for court-ordered residential inpatient substance abuse treatment, you're right. Um, you know, I, I work all over the country, so as a result, I've learned a lot about each state's stuff um, but Florida does happen to have the Marchman Act, which provides for that residential level of care. Um, and if applied properly, correctly, it can provide amazing outcomes. Um, 
but there's no question, just like with any other court ordered something, um, there's so many different ways that it, you could find a loophole. Uh, for example, a, a, an order that wasn't signed or something that was missed. And next thing you know, somebody who really needs help, desperately needs help with just a little bit of legal maneuvering is looking at the person who the petitioner going, what would you do all that for? Right. What a waste. Let's go back to, let's go back to um, New York. Right. I mean, I literally think my parents were in Florida, but I literally think they stopped off on the way home for sushi and she had a drink. Like it was that bad after three yeah. months fighting this. Absolutely. And, right. And you know, the thing about the Marchman Act that's um, to me unique and wonderful versus, so we have um, in DC, it's the, um, the Irwin Act and they're, every state has a 72 hour hold. Yeah. You know, and if you can sometimes, you know, manipulate if the person, if the person expresses some suicidality or if you can convince the doctors or get them to talk to you, regardless of HIPAA, which is another struggle, you know, that's an option. The problem here is um, the way I, it was explained to me several years ago is the Marchman Act is kind of created for the Hewlett Harbor Boca Raton housewife who has nothing to lose by continuing the addiction because it's not an issue of, you know, keeping a roof over the head or holding a job or whatnot, not all the time, but in some ways, this is a unique statue that takes the burden slash power from the family and puts it onto the court. Right. Correct. You sounded very doubtful, which makes me think I said something wrong and I don't no. want to be corrected. No, here's the thing. So look, I have a, 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 few, a colleague of mine who probably would be a, maybe a, a future guest of yours. Sure. An attorney that specializes in this exact science of Marchman Act or even guardianships. Yeah. And it's really popular now. Uh, it's, it's very topical now, especially what's going on with uh, Brittany um, sure. and her efforts to, you know, have the conservatorship um, terminated. Um, but um, the thing about it is, is that the courts are definitely uh, presented with an opportunity to make some judicial decision on whether or not somebody needs court-ordered care or not, um, and hopefully with the use with the um, introduction of quality testimony of sound um, fact-finding by psychiatrists, counselors to help make that that decision. Um, however, initially for just the evaluation part, all you really need fundamentally, and with the asterisks that I'm not an attorney, is the family presenting to the court enough information that the court then says, this person does need to be brought in for a minimum of an evaluation to decide whether or not there should be a hearing for treatment. So. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, it has the potential, the Marchman Act has the potential to be an amazing resource if applied correctly, using the law as it stands with proper counselor or uh, proper um, uh, legal guidance with solid um, clinical foundations to support whatever the recommendations are. Sure. I mean, you know, listen, a problem I've had and a problem I've had other guests on my show express when dealing with loved ones in this situation is that, um, you know, so uh, suicide attempts, normally that's what 
that's what lends my particular parent in the hospital. But is it a suicide attempt if the person refuses to admit it? And no, sometimes no. Like sometimes you're really dependent on the doctor being savvy enough to understand that they need more information. You know, they can't, um, they have to follow HIPAA. They're worried, they're worried about their own litigation, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. You gotta be real careful. I mean, as a licensed counselor myself, right? So I, I'm able to actually write a Baker Act order, which is the mental health version, kind of the mental health version of the substance abuse or the Marchman Act. I know in New York, you've got the mental hygiene, mental health hygiene laws um, and various profession, professionals are able to sign those petitions. Yeah. There's a few people that can sign that petition. I'm one of those people uh, by statute that is able to sign that petition. Thing about it is, is that um, you know families have will report to me that every time law enforcement they call nine one one, law enforcement shows up, and that it um, it's almost like the Warner Brothers frog. You know, it was the frog that you know that could dance and sing, but when yes. the audience showed up, it was like ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. And and oftentimes is the case that the family is seeing all these out of control behaviors. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to take over this building and I'm going to become the leader of this nation. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And, and when law enforcement shows up and the, um, the fact team or the team that comes out to do the assessment in the field, they're like, guess what? My mom's over-medicated. My father has a drinking problem. And, other, and yeah, I've had some issues. But other than that, if you want to take them with you, you're welcome to do that. But I'm staying right here and there's not much you can do about it. That's why a family will reach out to somebody like me to come in and to work with the family, work with the patient, the person, and be able to actually observe and see those behaviors as they're happening, um, as opposed to hoping that you would take your loved one to the hospital, the clinic, or the law enforcement show up, and there's nothing there to report. There's nothing right. to show. Well, you know, I will say we've had... Um we've had success with um um the police in my parents move a lot so now i'm lighthouse point we've had some success with them and they happen to know my mother by now because okay. you know, um but uh it's it's they do the right thing they take you know they take her but the baker act is short-lived and you know um my mother also does very well in psych wards because she really likes the attention and being the bell of the ball. You get a lot of, you, you'll get a lot of attention. Yeah, I mean, and so she loves it. She's like the queen of the land. Like sometimes I think she doesn't want to leave, but she doesn't want to stay. But um, it's just been a constant struggle for years. I have to say for one reason or another, she's doing better, although substance abuse hasn't changed. And um, I think part of that is her confabulations uh, have become less negative and more positive. And for my listeners, confabulations are when uh, due to a atrophy of certain areas of the brain, people start having gaps in memory and then they make up memories and truly sure. believe them. It's, you know, is it a lie if you don't know they're lying? And so um, for a while they were very negative and I was supposedly doing very awful things to her. Um, but now they're more positive. So gotcha. what can I say? The, the substance abuse continues. We just haven't had to run, you know, screaming with our hair on fire recently. But well, that's good. Huh. 
It is, but that's why I was so interested in your job is so important and so difficult. And um, I did wonder if, I guess, how you ended up there and, and I don't mean to overstep, but if there, if you fell into this because of a, a family member or a loved one, an early experience, um, you know, I couldn't do that for that exact same reason, but I also know a lot of people that, you know, in that mental health profession that do fall into their specialty for that reason. Yeah. Well, now you crossed the line, mister. No, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm messing with you. <laughs> I was sort of hesitant there. I was like- no, I'm messing uh, with you, I'm messing with you. But yeah, look, I think, um, you know, fundamentally, or many of us um, are kind of products of our environment. Yeah. Um, we end up sometimes where we're supposed to be because, you know, we've lived a life that kind of drove us or led us to what we do. So with that said, you know, like for me, um, I'm walking into the homes of, um, you know, people all over the United States. I even work internationally, but it's always with American families that are abroad, you know, and something's going on and I gotta go over there and help out. But, um, so the way I look at it is like this. So the families that I'm, coming to meet, they're going to need to, they're probably going to need to share with me some very intimate details of their world, right? Um, so with that said, um, I look at it as if rather than me have to necessarily share my world always, I'm cool with having so much of my world already out there for the for people to see. Right. So that's why... You know, that's why I think it's incumbent upon me to be able to be open and honest and transparent as much as possible um, with people because I that's what I need from them in order for me to be able to do my job and maneuver around all of the pathological twists and turns that I have to be able to, the gauntlet of uh, issues that I have to be able to, to circumvent um, in order to do my job. So with that said, you know, I have no problem talking about the fact. Yeah, I was going to totally call you on the fact that you just evaded my question, but I... I, I well, I had to come back. I, 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 I'm, I knew you I'm good at going you. away, and I'm good yeah. at coming back. I got I, you. Know, kind of like um, Al Pacino in The Godfather 3. Every time, exactly. you know, I try to get out, they keep pulling me back. <laughs> you know, anyway, but um, with that said, um, so for me, you know, looking at it in terms of, I'm always working with family. So uh, with me, seeing the family being able to come together that's gone through years of torment and strife and um, challenges because of a loved one or, uh, or even there being a mental illness or addiction within the family fabric um, and seeing them be able to come together and kind of being that catalyst in a way for there to be true healing within the family, it's a pretty amazing feeling for me and so, and part of it has to do with getting back to me is the fact that my world was, my childhood, my upbringing was so disjointed and uh, covert um, and um, very, um, very unhealthy in the context of a, having a strong uh, parental or family foundation with that said, you know, um, when I was about five, my, this was back in Long Island. And so, um, and by the way, I'm looking this way only because it, my, so my brain works. If I look that way, it's all of our brains work. It's okay. Right. So, when I was about five, um, 
my parents were having some hard times. They were, weren't getting along and um, they were getting divorced. And at that time, the, the, a father getting custody of his kids was, or even, it just wasn't very common. No, I, I mean, this was the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to age myself too much, but yeah, right around the middle 70s, somewhere in there, right? It looked good. We're getting older. Let's just call right. state and put that cool. shit out. It was around 75. Anyway, the thing about it was, was that um, it looked pretty bad for my dad. Um, I think that's the way he was feeling. Like he wasn't going to, you know, he was going to have to leave the house. He wasn't going to have much contact with me. And one day he came to me basically and he said, Evan. And I said, yeah, dad. But it wasn't that deep. It was much lower, lower voice at that point. I could probably yeah, did. whatever, however I said it. He says, you want to go away? You want to go on a trip? And I'm like, uh, you know, they were fighting all the time. So I'm like, oh, yeah. wherever, yeah. ice cream, Vermont, Chile. Did you have any siblings? And how come you're yeah. in Chile and Vermont at, at, at you know? No, no, I'm just throwing it out now. Oh, okay. I'm just saying wherever. He could have said Machu Picchu. I would have been, let's do it, Incas. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's all cool. So. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So no siblings? No siblings, no. So he then says, uh, well, just, uh, okay, then let's go. Uh, we're going to go on a trip. We got on a train. And um, we uh, ended up going to Canada. Is this difficult? I'm sorry. Am I making a, I mean, I know you've spoken about this before, but I just don't want to, I don't like pushing. No, I'm good. I'm good with it now. Okay, I like um, pushing, but I just don't no, want to no, make no. you uncomfortable. I'm, I'm good with it now. I'm good with it now. Don't worry. Okay. Um, but so he said, uh, "You want to get away? You want to go on a trip?" I'm like, "Yeah, wherever. Whatever. I don't care. Whatever. However, I can get away from this mess, right?" I didn't say that, but that was probably what was going on in my brain. Yeah. He says, "Okay, we're going to go on a trip." So it was his day for custody, and uh, we got in the car. We went to the train station, and the next thing you know, we were in Canada. Well, I and, think it takes longer than that, but okay. Well, it wasn't the next thing, but it was it was a drive. It was a yeah, we had a train ride. Here's the crazy thing: that once we get there, I can't remember the perfect conversation, but it was something along the lines of, "And now you're going to be starting school here." Wow. Well, wait, there's more, <laughs> and, and um you're going to be now known as um, Jan. Okay, not a bad name, I guess. Right? Well, Jan being a, a very common, like Kelly, being a very common, like, male name. But, right. you know, at the time, right. Um, Jan Honeywell. Huh. And so it I'm like... Nice, it has a nice ring to it. Right, know. right? Yeah. And he was John, John Honeywell. Crazy. But wait. It's almost like that the, the 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 world got even more like one of those you know Ginsu knife commercials. So oh, wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> your school, your school, your schooling will now be in French because wow. we moved to Montreal and sure. we were living and um, which was the, in the province of Quebec. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of English speakers in Quebec, but in Montreal in that area. Uh, it was a very French part, and I went to the to, I went to the school called the Collage Collage Francais, 
which was the French school, French college. But, you know, so like, I went there. listen, your accent is better than my 12 year old. So I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> I went there. I went there. And now I'm Jan. Honeywell. <laughs> I'm talking French. In the beginning, it was broken. And then little by little, it got a little bit better. Well, kids are amazing. I mean, yeah, they're amazing the way they're. Now, now, they're, now what's, what's interesting, you bring the uh, keeping up with the Kardashian show full circle, was that while I'm there, I'll never forget the Olympics were going on. So in that's, I right, okay. And who was the hero of the 1976 Olympics? Bruce Jenner. Other than Bruce yeah. Jenner, right? <laughs> Crazy. I didn't see him at those Olympics. All I know is that that's where he was, you know, became a superstar, super athlete star, whatever. Anyway, so we're about two years into this thing already. And I'm, my French is good. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, well, that's I'm, the best thing you can say about the situation, honestly. I'm almost, yeah, I'm almost kind of like feeling like this year, maybe there was a year, and I'm a grand, I'm only like six or seven. Well, I left when I was five, it was around going on seven, about seven. And maybe I'm kind of feeling this European thing going on because I'm talking <laughs> French, you know, the Pila Pew, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm okay, like, yeah, uh, we, we, with the ladies. We, we, and eating the French food yeah. and, you know, whatever, whatever. And then he says, we're leaving. You know, I'm like, okay. Oh, oh, uh. Au revoir, oui. Au revoir. Right. Au revoir. Anyway, so next thing you know, we're in a big bus. He buys this big bus, a camper bus, and we end up driving from Canada. Um, and we land in Fort Lauderdale because he had an uncle that was in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, from there, that's where I, that's where I stayed ever since. Um, so I totally get it how it makes sense to like put the family back together. I do have a question though, and I don't know how much you remember or what, but um, did you ask about mom? I mean, obviously yeah. the two of them together, you didn't want, but. Well, that's, a great, that's a good question. So um, in the beginning, remember there was fighting. Yeah, totally. And yeah. what I've learned um, and is that it wasn't necessarily that my father was the good guy and my mom was the bad woman. It was probably more so that my father packaged everything in the most um, comfortable way um, for me, whereas my mom might have been more demonstrating her anger, demonstrating the frustration. It's possible that my father would be would have been more plotting um, to not engage with her thinking that there would be an alternative or ulterior plan that I'll just be cool with Evan so that when I come to him and I say, don't you want to get away from this? Or you want to go on a trip? He's going to say, of course. So, you so I don't it was like a plan. Like a, I mean, it was obviously a plan. It was an amazing plan. But I mean, you think that in some ways he was shaping, well, two things. One is shaping the situation for a better child you know for a better it's a better way to present to a child than right. anger and frustration trust me i'm the anger and frustration actually my husband and i share it equally but no i feel it yeah you know but so but it sounds like he, he was both doing it 
to protect you and also to right a secondary game yeah well right. yeah that sounds evil but yes yeah yeah okay. and, and look you could look at it this way anybody that would take a child from their mother it's hard to argue the point that there wasn't an evil part about them it's unless unless that parent unless the mother was an evil person and was emotionally abusive and that's what i was going to say I don't. But I don't have that that same black or white line. I just. I just don't recall that ever being the case. Right. So I don't know. I. I don't recall that ever being the case. So, in the event that this was just a father who didn't want to deal with his ex-wife's bullshit, or the thought of having to share the child or having to give up the family home, and this was to take the kid and leave. You could say that was a pretty maniacal thing to do to a, 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 a mother, unless that's a situation where she was being physically, emotionally, or even sexually abusive to a child. Right. But you don't have any memories of that. And I also know I that you, you do. I mean, I know because I stalked you and spied on you, but like, it does sound like, like you do slash did have a good relationship with your father, but we're also allowed to look at it through adult glasses now in terms of what the fuck, you know? Oh yeah, at the time, I never thought of being a bad guy at all. I thought he was a phenomenal. Yeah. I was a great guy. Um, so this, so that creates kind of like a dichotomy of like, you know, was I sleeping, was, was he really not as good as I had thought, but were you going to go with sleeping with the enemy and then thought it would sound well, wrong? Yeah, it was a bad example. Okay, I understand. I'm just checking because it made sense to me too. But I was going to no. go sleeping with the enemy, but, uh, you know, I'm just saying that was kind of the idea, but it didn't, it didn't apply. But Wait, so it, but I think it would have occurred. Listen, my daughter, when my husband and I fight, she wants us to get divorced. She's almost 11, smart yeah. as fuck. But that's because she wants two different houses and two different sets of Hanukkah presents. Okay. You know, so like it's I like, and she's eleven, and it's a joke at this point. But like, when we went through a rough patch a few years ago, that was her thought, yeah. and so I I sort of understand the you know kids are sim simple, but um, I don't know if you remember, but um, the idea of like not, suddenly not speaking to mom or hearing from her or um, yeah, yeah. So in the beginning, I would ask about mom. And then after a while, I stopped asking. Um, I was about 15 or so, and um, my dad passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it happened. It, and it you, happened. Were, you were in Florida? I was in Florida. And I was living down here and just lived my life. And then my dad passed away. Um, he had a heart attack. About, and then I was living with my grandmother she came to kind of take care of me. Dad's mom. Dad's mom. Um, and one day, um, out of the blue, I got a phone call from one of my dad's old friends um, who was a musician. And he told, and um, well, here's the story. So he was a musician, um, and I was playing uh, saxophone at the time. Oh, nice. He said, okay. yeah, he said, look, you know, I know it's been hard on you. Why don't you come? Why don't I pick you up? We'll go over to the studio and uh, we can jam a little bit. And at that time, I'm like, that's cool. Um, I haven't played the saxophone in a long time, but at that time, I was digging the saxophone. Anyway, so um, 
I remember he picked me up from the house and we're on the way to the studio. And he says, um, listen, there's something I need to tell you. I said, what's up? His name is Jim. That's, that's as far as you need to know. His name is Jim. Okay, I'm into and, it. Um, yeah. And I said, what's up, Jim? And he goes, uh, listen, um, I met your mom. I said, uh, okay. And she wants to talk to you. So um, I've got her number. And, um, you know, she wanted to make sure that you had it. At that point, I said, I appreciate it. Um, now you can take me back. I was, I was, I felt kind of ambushed in a way. Yeah, you, you, you know uh, I think that's because you were, you were totally ambushed, but I understand Jim's, you know. Yeah. So he took me back and, you know, I would say probably about a week later, I called her. He was in, I believe he was in Chicago watching, um, he was, I think he was on doing a gig in Chicago. He's a musician. He's watching TV one night in a hotel and he sees my mom on TV in a story about mothers looking for their children who are missing. This was kind of close to the Adam Walsh time. So child find and finding kids that were missing was becoming more and more popular. Um, and she, he called the number, connected with her. I know where your son is. And so that was the story. And then from then we started to speak and ultimately I saw her again. And ever since then we've been communicating and our relationship is growing and continues to grow. And, um, you know, now we're, we're good with each other and uh, worked through a lot of difficult times and kind and so, of rebonding. Yeah. And so, well, I, I, I want to ask you if, it doesn't matter, actually. I was going to ask you if, like, based on what you know of your mom now and the relationship, if it sheds any more lights on the situation. But I'm going to take that back because I'm not the same person now that I was 12 years ago. And whoever right. your mom was when you met her, that it, one thing has no bearing. It doesn't give us any new information, I don't think. Right. Exactly. I, you know, we just um, we just kind of took off from where we left off and just grew from there. I think it's it's a happy story in that it gives hope for fractured families to come back together. Exactly, exactly. Now, I will say that um, as a result of all that stuff, um, there's no question that that had a, um, a significant impact on my value system, my um, understanding of you know, family dynamics, um, you know, uh, and so there's no question that I tried a bunch of different ways and things to try to find my way and cope with all those issues that I was feeling by not having the support, the structure, the normal stuff that everyone would have. And I go into a whole bunch of details about that. But I will say that there's no question in my mind now bringing it full circle, which took me about 35 minutes or 40 minutes, was that all those experiences combined together, there's no question that it, 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 it has driven me uh, to be able or driven me to really embrace the, the healing power of the family. Yeah. Um, and how I find amazing, an amazing high, if you will, um, personal high, professional high, spiritual high, 
when I see the person that I'm brought in to go get help for, um, ultimately agree to accept help. It may not be the happiest moment, but the, you know, see them actually entering into a program, the family rallying around that. Um, and for me, that's just um, like, for me, it's almost like having an opportunity to see something, feel something that um, for a long time I was deprived of sure. and being able to give that gift to families all over the place. Sure. I mean, you, you know, I have a quote that I stole from somewhere. It's yours. Um, no matter what any, no matter what anyone tells you, instead of waiting for the bottom to fall out, raise it as high as you can with a comprehensive, caring and unified, strategically loving approach. Um, yeah. And I really love that quote. It's probably too complex for the average person who hasn't been through the truck through some sort of trauma. Right, right, right. But um, it's also a really high aim. I mean, personally, like, I'm pretty smart and evolved. And like, I still have my issues that come up, you know, whenever we go through this laundry mat of crap uh, with my mom. And so um, different traumas, but I think similar, well, it's a trauma, you know? And so similarly, um, a couple of years ago, there were a bunch of suicides, teen suicides in town. And I started working with a lot of suicidal teens. And um, part of the reason I think I was able to hold that space is because these have been words that I've been using, you know, and talking about and describing. And like, I don't make light of it, but I also know that the best place for someone who has feelings and thoughts to be is not necessarily an ER where like, right super educated, inexperienced, you know, people are, yeah. um, and you can also walk into an emergency room holding a knife and they might send you home, you know? Absolutely. So, so I think it's my ability, ability to sort of sit in the muck and your ability to bring out, sit in, but also bring out that make us um, good at what we do, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I, I definitely, I mean, you're doing, so many wonderful things and you're working for so many places i i don't even know how you find time in the day um you know and then time for me which i i definitely appreciate um and you have a blog that has some great information on uh well you have the website behavioralhelp.com um and you have something this great article on the marchman act um for any listeners in florida which we do have you're all over the news obviously you also do therapy and i found your listing on psychology today just like you're a plebeian like the rest of us um but where else can people find you learn more about you get some guidance you know um, yeah sure so um my 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 individual work is really more like private case management sure. so i don't take on any individual counseling patients just want to make sure that's clear um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, but really the, the easiest way would be go to the website, like you said, yep. um, behavioralhelp.com. Um, that would probably give you a little bit more information on me, some of the services I provide. Um, you know, um, you can, you're also welcome to call me directly. I have a, my, my phone is my 24 seven hotline. So if you want, you're welcome to post that if you choose. I'll post anything you tell me. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but, um, 
you know, I think in, in an easy way, and by the way, I found this out, you can type in Evan the Interventionist and it, my site comes up, which is cool. So that's another way to kind of, if you just- That is very cool. Simple, you know, kind of a Google thing. But um, other than that, I think that even if you're not reaching out to connect with me, um, I think that if you do have a loved one who you've been trying or the family has been trying very diligently to help them with their mental health issues or substance abuse issues or co-occurring issues, um, and you're hitting a brick wall, um, the system is letting you down, you forgot to sign something, so the next thing you know, they're walking down the street again and they're out of control. Um, I think that you should definitely look at reaching out to a trained professional um, intervention professional specialist like myself. And if it's not me, you know, I can, I would be more than willing to help guide you in the right direction um, uh, anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world to have somebody come and help. Um, because I think it really does make a difference when you're able to bring in a third party professional to help break through uh, walls that may seem impenetrable. Um, and the best analogy I can give you on the reason why it's kind of like, um, I have cases where the mother's a surgeon, the father's a, a, a lawyer, and these are really smart people, right? Yeah. And I mean, they probably did real good on their MCATs and their, their LSATs and whatever else they did, and they're smart and they got resources. But the problem is, or the challenge is, just like a, card, a really, really world-renowned cardiac surgeon, if you're in surgery and the, the, the OR doors open up, and it's your loved one on that gurney, you might want to find another really good, phenomenally well-trained um, cardiac surgeon to perform that procedure. Why? Because at the end of the day, you are emotionally connected to the outcome. And so for that reason, it's really hard to make some of those major decisions and know where to do this and how to do that and how to approach and still keep a steady hand. You can't get a steady hand when it's your loved one and you're deep in that chest cavity. So that's why you might want to look at bringing in a professional interventionist to not necessarily um, say something differently, but perhaps present that same message in a more objective, from a more objective standpoint. Sure. And, you know, a lot of my, so a lot of my listeners are mothers. And so, although we will all understand that because we're all educated mothers or intelligent people, or we wouldn't listen to the neurotic nurse. And I love, and I love educated mothers. Yes, exactly. Everyone should. But similarly, I have, I try to go by like the three times rule where please clean up your room. Hunter, did you clean up your room? <laughs> hey, did you clean up your room? Right. And then I'm going to scream and guess when I'm going to be heard screaming, right. but it's not because it's, it's because it's a different voice, you know, like sometimes loved ones, you know, um, people struggle with abuse or, or uh, abuse more than mental health, but both, you know, you need that different voice. And for me, I don't have multiple personalities, so I just use my louder voice and it's not my preference, but um, sometimes you need to hear someone else say the same words that your loved ones have been saying for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, phenomenal um evan thank you so much um for meeting with us and i will put everything that we in the show notes and uh hold on for a second
Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.